listeners, and welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra, It's All About Whiskey. Each episode, Joshua and I get together and we have a wee chitty chatty, as I like to say. Siri does not like chitty chatty. But we have a little chitty chatty over a recent news story, oftentimes whiskey focused. We read an article in the first half of the show and we riff on it in the second half and we now try to get out of here in a tight 35 minutes. How have we been doing with the tight 35s? Joshua? Well, last episode, I, I want to say it brought us into the 37-minute region, which which isn't terrible for us, but it isn't living up to the promise, the campaign promise that we've been trying to deliver it, to people. It's tough, though. You go from recording it to editing it to trying to get it to 35. 37 to me sounds near as damn it. Horseshoes and hand grenades, but here we are. There you go. <laughs> So this episode, we are going to cover an article put out into the world, some might say authored by, one of our very dear friends, Susanna Skyver Barton. Oh, we love her. We love her and we love her writing. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah, I'm excited about this one too. So she published an article entitled, For Craft Whiskey Distillers, a looming barrel shortage is bad news. And she published that with vinepair.com. Hmm. I will also say, we, and I know this is an audible podcast, but the photograph that leads this article yeah, yeah. is by Max Kelly Photography. Mm-hmm. And it is cracking. It's, it's worth your time going to vinepair.com, uh, looking up craft whiskey barrel shortage, and having, obviously, a read of Susanna's work, but also a look at the Max Kelly photography. It's almost biblical-looking, with the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. I really, I really like oh, it. Oh, I thought you were seeing the Red Sea coming out of there. Oh, no, 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 no. Different, different chapter, Jason. Nothing, nothing like jokes about a photograph on an audio podcast. <laughs> so, Susanna writes... No industry has been left untouched by pandemic-related disruptions, and distilling is no exception. From shutdowns and glass shortages to paying more for just about everything, the spirits world has been rocked more deeply than at any other time since Prohibition, and the latest issue may be the most serious yet. Multiple whiskey distilleries have reported an imminent shortage of barrels, confirmed by reports from a number of cooperages. Quote, It's a looming problem, says Colin Keegan, owner of Santa Fe Spirits. Quote continues, We were warned by our barrel supplier, Kelvin Cooperage, in December. So we placed our first order of the year as a larger one. It's usually six weeks delivery, and now it is six months. Look at that. At Few Spirits, this year's supply of barrels is secure, but founder Paul Letko has been hearing murmurs about a potential shortage, and they're getting louder. Quote, all our coopers are calling us up, telling us to get our orders in now, he says. A major barrel crisis is coming. But for some distillers, the shortage is already here. Journeyman Distillery normally buys some of its barrels from independent stave company ISC. Mm -hmm. 
But owner Bill Welter was recently told that his 2022 order would be capped at the level he bought in 2021, a problem for the growing company. Quote, We're fortunate in that our barrel suppliers gave us a heads up so we were able to pad the inventory, he says, noting that the barrel mill, another longtime supplier, is able to meet journeyman's shortfall this year. Section heading Barrel Shortage Redux. Quote, We are definitely entering what I call Barrel Shortage 2.0, says the Barrel Mills Vice President of Marketing, Richard Hobbs, referring to a deficit that occurred about a decade ago across the cooperage industry because of a lack of wood. Mm-hmm. Quote, At that point, we had to turn away a lot of business, which we don't like. And that's happening again, end quote. While cold calling potential customers is a normal part of doing business, Hobbs has lately fielded a rising volume of inquiries from new clients, including, quote, a lot of people that normally wouldn't even answer an email or phone call from me, end quote. All of them seeking barrels. I remember that. I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, go on. What he's referring to there, the, the barrel shortage, I remember there being this moment in time where for a good number of months, I'll call them eight to ten months, it seemed people had a difficult time getting barrels. And people's lead times, mm-hmm. like they had said, went from six weeks to two months, to four months, to eight months, etc. So the fact that he's calling it 2.0, yeah, that, that really, uh, that, that cleared some cobwebs from my brain. I'm reminded of that 1.0. Yeah, the, the thing for me is, you know, we've clearly heard of Kelvin Cooperage. We've heard of Independent Stave Company. I had not heard of the Barrel Mill. No, the barrel mill is new to me as well. So returning to Susanna's article, the same thing is happening at Adirondack Barrel Cooperage. (laughs) Also haven't heard of them. Where co-owner Kelly Blazowski is taking on new customers whose usual suppliers can't meet their needs. Ditto for East Coast wood barrels. This has now just become a list of Cooperages I haven't heard of. Well, (laughs) let me just put a pin in this really quickly. I wonder, and and maybe the the article will will answer this question, but I wonder if distilleries are starting to reach out to cooperages that normally cater to the wine industry, and if perhaps Mm -hmm, we hadn't mm -hmm. heard about these... Good question. ...because they cater to a different industry. So anyway, let's let's go on and, and see if I'm proven... Right or wrong or yeah, it's a solid question. I, I like that a lot. So ditto for East Coast Wood Barrels, President and Master Cooper George Voiku, V-O-I-C-U, I just said it with confidence, says, quote, Right now, people are looking for barrels for whiskey left and right, and this is a sign of shortage, mm. end quote. He says the Cooperage will be able to fulfill its existing clients' orders this year and take on some new customers 
but he can't meet the needs of all who have contacted him. Hmm. Part of the issue may be as simple as larger distilleries, which make up the lion's share of business for cooperages like ISC, increasing their own barrel orders as production expansions come online. Smaller clients with less buying power often end up squeezed in such scenarios. But costs for oak and steel have gone up. The logging and smelting industries haven't been spared from COVID-related problems either, along with a massive increase in freight and shipping costs. Coopers themselves are plagued by delays in getting raw materials and several are having trouble hiring enough employees to keep up with demand. Quote, it is harder to find qualified applicants, end quote, than it was before the pandemic, says Blazowski, who is actively hiring as Adirondack Barrel Cooperage expands. Hmm. And then there's another cracking photo. This photo actually comes from East Coast Wood Barrels. And it's, it's barrels with hoops in the middle, but open ends standing on their ends uh, before being it, toasted and sealed. That yeah, looks it, excellent. It looks great. They look like uh, matcha tea whisks. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the little whisks, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and now this is the final segment from Susanna here. It's entitled Risk for Some, Opportunity for Others. As supplies shrink, prices rise, but distilleries desperate for barrels have no choice but to pay up. To compensate for delayed orders and in anticipation of shortages down the line, many distillers are ordering more barrels than they need now, which Letco notes will end up compounding the problem, not to mention the added upfront expense. Cardinal Spirits in Indiana is seeing a five-fold increase in lead times for barrels and thus ordering two or three times as much as usual to ensure it will have the supply needed for planned projects. Running out of barrels would be, for most whiskey distillers, a devastating blow. And it's interesting, as we read through that paragraph, I can't help but think of the early pandemic when we ran out of toilet paper in stores. Yeah, where right. <laughs> people didn't didn't need to buy five forty packs of toilet paper to get them, you know, through their immediate needs. But with the idea of a shortage coming, they wanted to be prepared. And in being prepared, created the shortage that they were protecting themselves against. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to these barrels being purchased in quantities that aren't currently needed, but a shortage is coming. And now a shortage has been created. 100%. It's, it's, it's this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Industry-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> right. Uh, back to Susanna. Whiskies like bourbon and rye. Oh, she's going to touch on something I was looking to bring up. Um, I don't know if we're going to get an answer to your question, Joshua. Yeah. Whiskies like bourbon and rye, which by law must be aged in new charred oak barrels, are most at risk from a shortage. 
but for a style like American single malt, which is often aged in used casks, the dearth of new barrels fortunately isn't as serious. Mm -hmm. Stranahan's has primarily matured its single malt in new charred oak since its inception in 2004 as a way to meet the standards for straight malt whiskey. Though the Denver distillery is currently experiencing a shortage of new barrels, head distiller Owen Martin isn't too worried. Standards of identity for American single malt are expected to be formalised sometime this year and, because they allow any type of oak barrel for maturation, he sees an opportunity mm -hmm. to innovate. Quote, Stranahan's has always incorporated barrel reuse and trading in its distilling processes. But with the new regulations, this will give us a chance to get creative. Barrel reuse not only allows us to experiment with the oak malt balance in our whiskey, but also allows us to work more efficiently with our inventory while industry supply is down. And that quote endeth the article. There's a lot to talk about here, Jason. And I've got, I've got some ideas. I've got some thoughts. I did a little research that I want to bring up in the second half. This is my shocked face. Wow, it, it looks the very same as your normal resting, your normal face. I like to say I have resting reading face. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with a chitty chatty in the second half. As we came out of the reading of Susanna's article at vinepair.com for craft whiskey distillers, a looming barrel shortage is bad news, you teased us that you had some ground to cover in the second half mm -hmm. and you suggested a little bit of research had happened, which is incredibly unnerving. <laughs> so Joshua... Yeah, well, by by a little bit, it's exactly that. It was a little bit. The the good thing about this article is is that Susanna provided the links, and so as you were reading, I clicked the link for Adirondack uh, Barrel Cooperage, as well as mm. the Barrel Mill Cooperage, and and for Adirondack, now it it specifically points out barrels for wine and spirits. But when mm. it talks about customer testimonials, it's distilleries, right? It's it's Indiana Whiskey. It's uh, the Better Man Distilling Company. It's our friends at Black Button Distilling, um, mm. and and a few others. And and then I looked at the Barrel Mill, and the Barrel Mill seems to focus on small barrels, and then infusion spirals which was all the rage you know early on mm -hmm. in, in the craft whiskey mm -hmm. boom here in the US and so I think you know when I think about craft distilling in the US 
it hurts my brain because the number of craft distilleries within the U.S. is around 3,000. And that's so many distilleries that we simply could not remember all of their names. And so I think by extension, to satisfy all of these distilleries, there has to be a fair number of smaller cooperages like the Barrel Mill, like Adirondack Barrel Company that may satisfy some of these distilleries, right? So I think it's part of the industry that we don't normally think about simply because you're always given the names of the big boys and girls, the the Kelvin Cooperages, the Speyside Cooperages, the independent slave companies, right? Meanwhile, there's a plethora of other ones that just don't get talked about so much. So anyway, I just wanted to do a little research to see what those cooperages do. And it's clear they're tending to both wine and spirits, but it's also very clear they're just trying to tend to these 3,000 plus craft distilleries that are here in the U.S. and that continue to pop up. But I think you raise a good point when you you bring up the wine industry's need for wood mm-hmm. and you think of the size of the US wine industry and then you add on this growing whiskey industry craft traditional otherwise it's a growing spirits industry sure. in the United States as well that has this need for wood and as we, you know, as I think back to the last episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, where we've got both Bespoken talking about processes that don't involve wood, mm. and then we've got Kevin Dunlop riding in to ask about, does, does he asks if the whiskey industry has a green problem. I think we could ask, does the spirits and wine industry yeah. have a green problem? Where... The, the absolute demand for trees for barrels is gargantuan. Mm-hmm. And the part that Susanna starts covering towards the end of the article is, is the aspect that I was thinking of, which is when you've got an industry that's built on the back of only using a barrel one time, the new charred oak use within bourbon and yeah. rye, I can't help but wonder if you're creating problems for yourself with that decree. I think you are. And think about when that decree, when, you know, when those stipulations were put into place for, you know, processes to produce a product that then equal bourbon or rye at the end, you're looking at, you know, sometime in the 30s, I don't remember the exact year where they said, and maybe it's the 20s, geez, I, I, I can't remember the exact year, but a stipulation was put into place nearly 100 years ago that you need to use There's new that number again. Oak, right? <laughs> that you need to use new charred oak casks. Now, 100 years ago, they didn't have a crystal ball for what the industry would look like in the 20 aughts, right? And so... You know, in a way, it reminds me a little bit of, and I'm not trying to be controversial here, but it reminds me a little bit of 
how the Second Amendment to the Constitution was written based on the technology of guns at the time, where you had to, where it took you a minute to load a bullet, right? And I'm not talking against the Second Amendment. I am a pro two A guy. Uh, even though I'm a vegetarian, I'm, I'm all for hunters and protecting the home. I'm fine with that. But my point is, gun technology has changed. The whiskey industry has changed. Meanwhile, none of the laws have been adjusted in any way to compensate for that. So we're running into this issue back to bourbon, firmly away from, <laughs> from gun garbage. Uh, back to bourbon, we're in a situation where we're going to see these shortages and you've, you've got a two-pronged issue where, yes, there seems to be a green issue and you have this booming bourbon and, and rye industry. There seems to be, we seem to be at a bit of an impasse and what makes it even harder is there's tradition along with that and, tra- and what we think of as traditional flavors along with that, where if we were to look at these laws or stipulations about what can or cannot be called bourbon or rye if you opened it up to second-use casks or what they do in Australia, our friends down there, where they use all of the wine barrels for their for their whiskey, right? To make a truly Australian-style whiskey, we, we may want to consider these changes to what can or cannot be called bourbon to help on the green side of it but also help these 3,000-plus distilleries within the U.S. not fold. Yeah, this is definitely an aspect that we've been dipping more than a toe into, which is how do we grapple with tradition in 2022? How do we grapple with 100-year-old Uh, liquor laws in the United States. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with the environmental issues surrounding the the industry and, you know, and adjacent industries? There's a part of me sees the way we all want to continue with business as usual. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, right, just like you were saying, to go not to get controversial, but we desperately want to believe there's no longer a pandemic. We desperately want to believe that we don't need masks when we're interacting with one another. Right. We don't want to be dealing with increased freight costs. We don't want to be dealing with increased fuel costs that are coming out of mm-hmm. a war raging you know, with a Russian invasion of Ukraine, right? There's no getting away from the fact that the world is a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to sit here with our love of bourbon, our love of rye, our love of single malts and say, can it just be like the old days? Can it just be, well, you know, and this yeah. is where you got to be careful what you wish for, right? Can, can it just be like it was 10 years ago? Susanna's article, hey, remember 10 years ago when there was a wood shortage? Ah, shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can it be like it was 20 years ago? Like the bourbon industry wasn't the bourbon industry two decades ago. Yeah, so yeah exactly. There's this ongoing grappling, and I, and I think this is, this is human existence, 
between can't it be the way it was and how do we adjust for the way it currently is? Mm. And I think that's the point that you and I keep returning to, which is how do we hold on to tradition but respond to modern technology, respond to modern demands, respond to modern problems? The good news is, like whiskey, you don't get the answers overnight, right? You, you, don't, you don't get your whiskey overnight. It takes years to mature it. And so I think that it's going to take years to make the changes needed to ensure sustainability, not just for the environment, but for the industry as a whole. And it will be interesting to see what our reactions are while this change is happening. I, I really do mm -hmm. believe, much like uh, the, the gentleman from Stranahan's was pointing out to where you know, they produce American single malt. They don't have mm -hmm. the same issues that the bourbon industry has, even though they had been using new charred casks from the beginning. Because it's single malt, they're saying, oh, wait a second, there's an opportunity here for more flavors, for different projects, to show people something new. And, and I like that approach. It's a bit, a bit of a new world approach. And I just wonder if there will be a cry from those within the bourbon industry to say, you know what, there are other potentials here. Maybe we should be lobbying for that, right? How did these laws come into place in the first place? It was lobbyists trying to help the lumber industry out, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. on, right? And so... You know, mm -hmm. these bourbon and rye producers need to figure out, well, they need to tread lightly, but I, th I think they're going to run into a situation where they need to figure out how to modify these laws. And is it going to take the six years that American single malt has taken to get to this, to where we are now, where in 2022 we'll have the result of a six-year process of trying to establish a new category? I, I wonder if the machine can move quicker or has to move as slow as it is and if we'll benefit from the slower moving uh, machine for us as um, consumers just to get used to the idea that, well, maybe bourbon can be matured in a second used cask or maybe bourbon can be matured in a California Cabernet cask, you know, or some, something of this nature. I always enjoy this conversation, but I always acknowledge that you and I are coming to this as single malt guys. Yes. And for us, there's associated excitement with a sherry cask. Oh, can you tell me the producer? Oh, a red wine cask. You know, I'm not really a big red wine matured Scotch fan, but you, yeah. there's still excitement there on, oh, where did that red wine come from? Mm -hmm. Or bourbon, where we're now starting to explore. Oh, which bourbon producers send that over to Scotland? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's another really cool yeah. aspect to it. And so I understand we're, we're already kind of pretty engaged with that approach. And I and I do understand when we come back and talk about bourbon and rye and we're talking about new charred oak and moving away from that. That's that's a big, big statement. Mm -hmm. But I really like what you're starting to say about 
our friends down there in Australia, where, and New Zealand, love you too, where we're looking at, if, if, if we're going to look at 3,000 plus craft distillers in the United States, they're not all producing whiskey, but do we need 2,000 plus bourbons in America, right? Like, where could we get a wrinkle in there? What's, you know, aside from your local water, and one of the things I do like is your local corn, or if you're a rye producer, your local rye. Like, mm. I really like those wrinkles. But what about your partnerships with local wineries? What about partnerships with your local breweries, right? Yeah. And really, not only are you getting casks recycling locally, but you're also building that local industry. And I, and I think there's something there. And I don't make the statement lightly because I know it will come at the expense of some percentage of new charred oak. But if we're facing finite numbers of trees and finite numbers of casks, there might need to be a new way of thinking. And wouldn't you want to adopt that new thinking or mm. begin to adapt to that new thinking while you still have a free choice in that rather than you have no choice at all and this is now the way the industry looks. Yeah, well, and, and then there's then there's the second half of it, right? The life of a new charred bourbon barrel or new charred cask after it's been used for bourbon if we allow for second-use casks here in the U.S., that could potentially affect how second-use casks... Oh, sorry. That could potentially affect how the Scotch whiskey industry uses their mm -hmm. first-fill bourbon barrels. And so mm -hmm. no matter what happens, it will in some way affect the Scotch whiskey industry and any other industry, right? The rum industry uses ex-bourbon barrels as well. Uh, tequila, you know, agave, and so forth. But just think about that number that we hear year over year in Scotch whiskey that there's between 22 and 25 million casks of whiskey sloshing around in Scotland at any given point, and 95% of those casks are ex-bourbon barrels, right? Or, or lived in ex-bourbon life in some way, shape, or form, whether it's first, second, or third fill. And so... Right, it's it's the butterfly effect. It's it's going to have some sort of an effect, and all we could do is sit back and and watch it unfold, and and hopefully, you know, hopefully our palates will evolve and adapt for how the whiskey industry could change based on this, you know, this this effect of of a shortage of barrels. Well, I think what you're alluding to there is that all actions have consequences. Yeah. But so do inactions. And so if, if we <laughs> sit here on our hands mm -hmm. and we just simply hope that this changes, it will not change. And so there is going to be, you know, there's going to be a need for proaction, proactivity. Mm -hmm. We need to get proactive around these problems and I, and I think was it, you know, last year 
the SWA, the Scotch Whiskey Association, added on to the types of wood that Scotch can be matured in and still count as Scotch. And yeah. and I know there was some, you know, there was some hostility there that it looked like the big boys were shaping it around the distilleries that they'd been purchasing in in far corners of the world. Mm-hmm. But it was adding to the list, if nothing else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think this rethinking of our industry and, and Scotch has always adapted. Like you know, it, it's always oh, thought yeah. on its feet and always yeah. done what it's needed to do to to stay alive. And I, I obviously I don't know my bourbon history in the same way, but I would imagine that you have to meet people where they are and you have to use the resources that are available to you. Mm. And when one resource goes away, you got to find other resources. Barrels are going to be hit real hard, real hard. I'll, I'll leave it with this one last little tidbit because it talks exactly to what you're saying there. The traditional cask for Scotch whiskey maturation was at one time claret wine (laughs) when's the last time you had a claret wine matured whiskey i want to say it was a spring bank that i probably purchased sometime around 2009 or 2010 and it was just an oddball wine cask right but that that was the traditional and then there was of course sherry and then there was bourbon right so so the 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 industry continues to evolve and change and uh, I think we as consumers just need to have a positive outlook on that. Be okay with the change of traditions. That's how new traditions start. And that could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get out of here, if you'd like to drop us a note, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com, no E in whiskey, or drop us a quick note, info at singlecastnation.com. Um, I know that Leo Weitzman sent in something for us to consider. I know Frederick Keeter sent in something for us to consider. Greatly appreciate that. Maybe we'll put them both in a, in a double episode. Ooh, yeah, get caught go. up on, on yeah. the stuff we're ignoring from people. So, yeah, we always love hearing from you. Uh, let us know what you're thinking, especially on an issue like this. Anytime you mention tradition, you're really touching a nerve. Mm. If you've got any thoughts, send them along. We'll maybe give them a little read. Share them on a next, uh, share them on a future episode of Extra Extra. But until we meet again in the future, Joshua, peace. Peace. Two pieces. <laughs> <laughs>